morning is Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. I think they'll uh, be a little familiar to you. So starting with uh, verse 12, chapter 8. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we call Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, I pray that as we look to your word, that we might have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe. We pray that as we encounter you through the work of your Holy Spirit, we might... Um, not just find something new or interesting, but we might find life in the words of life and that we might be changed into Jesus' image. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to tell you that this summer, as we look at what it means to be united to Christ, our union in Christ, some of it might get a little overlapped. And that should be because we're talking about a singular, really rich theological idea, but we're going to break it down into pieces. So it's going to have these moments that seem to overlap. But one of the stories that you might hear a couple different times is one of my favorite stories to talk about our union with Christ. And now you're thinking, I, I would love to be able to hit a pause right now and say, what do you guess is that favorite story? I bet Meg has those things. And usually Meg will send me a little article or Gordon will send me an article or someone will, will kind of get engaged with what we're doing. But I'm going to venture that I'm going to surprise the best of you. One of my favorite stories to talk about our union with Christ is Pinocchio. <laughs> Raise your hand if you got it. Oh, you cheat. You're married to me. That's no fair. She doesn't count. Yeah, Pinocchio. Pinocchio is one of those amazing stories because here you have, first of all, yes, a talking marionette puppet. And I don't understand how a, pocket, a talking and walking marionette puppet goes without Someone actually holding the strings, so just suspend your disbelief for that moment to try to get past that. But there we have Pinocchio, who just longs to be what? A boy. He wants to be a boy. He looks like a boy. He's shaped kind of like a boy. He functions kind of like a boy. He's got a personality. He's got everything going for him. He's painted nicely. And even has a maker, doesn't he? And see, it, the reason why I like this is because that reminds me of Adam and Eve in the garden. They are creation. They were finest artwork of God. They were the, 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 the clay in the hands of the, of the potter, of the artist, right? And they even got to dwell with him in the same way that Pinocchio gets to walk into Giuseppe's uh, office and, and, and his workshop and say, hi, you know, I'm a little dissatisfied with things. I'd like to be a little bit of a boy right now. And Adam and Eve got to walk with God and they got to be in the presence of God. But you see, Pinocchio wasn't a son, was he? He wasn't a boy. 
He was a wonderful creation. In the same way, Adam and Eve were wonderful creations, pinnacle even. They even had the stamp and the image of God. But what I want to share with you this morning as we look in this passage in, in the letter to Rome, we're going to see that there is an ultimate transformation, that there is a, a, a promotion beyond description that has occurred between the garden and the cross, between Pinocchio and a son. I also want to conjure up a little bit of an image that the, the text that we read this morning, that David read for us this morning, coming out of Romans chapter 8. It kind of can parallel for us another famous story, the Exodus story. You know, where God's people are down in a, strangers in a strange land, and they were held captive by a, a person that did not acknowledge or honor God, and they were abused, they were enslaved, they were uh, captives and without rights and without freedom, without land, without privilege, without all the things that make and constitute a people. But God sends them a rescuer, and they are rescued out of that slavery. And they were called to be God's people, to be his possession, to be his identity markers. And they're not only called to be rescued out, but they're rescued to go somewhere. They're called and rescued to go into the promised land. Some of these things have parallels to our story, doesn't it? That we are born in sin, separate from God, and that we are uh, held in the principalities and the darkness of the age, and we are held under the, 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 the life of slavery and, this, and doom and darkness and death. And our, our number one adversary isn't any ruler, isn't any despot, isn't any party, isn't any, anything else. It's, it's, it's that sin brings death, and death looms over us all. So death is our nemesis, and we have a savior. We have a Moses figure to deliver us out of slavery. We have a Moses to deliver us across the river and into the promised land, the new heaven, the new earth, the new creation. They had pillars of smoke and pillars of fire, and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us individually and communally. But you know what happened along the way. They went into the wilderness. They went into the wilderness. They walked through the world that still wasn't the promised land. They are set free from slavery, but yet they didn't always have trust that God was with them. They didn't always have trust that God knew where he was going. They didn't always have trust that they were going to ever arrive to this beloved land of promise where milk and honey flows, where their identity is secure, where God might walk amongst them in their midst. So what did some do on this Exodus pilgrimage? They turned to the old ways, didn't they? Well, maybe this uh, new relationship we have with God isn't working out. Remember that time that Moses went up on the mountain and disappeared for 40 days? He disappeared, and you know, after a little while, you send out the search and rescue parties, but eventually you come to a conclusion, a sad conclusion, a heartbreaking conclusion, but an inevitable one. Moses is gone. We need to pick up. So what do we do? Well, Moses was our conduit. Moses was our connection to this God. Let's try out what? The old ways. The old ways. The idols. The false gods. The, the handmade gods. The, the gods that we can hold in our hands and get our, wrap our minds around. Some wanted to return to Egypt saying, listen, he led us out into the desert here just to just so that we can die. 
We could have at least done that in Egypt and known and been with our family and been with our jobs and had, had at least what we knew. You see, I think this is what Paul is writing about. And so then, dear brothers and sisters, we are obligated, we are in debt, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put the deeds of death in the body, put to death the deeds, of the deeds of the body, if you do that, you will live. Why? Because for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Now, this I'm reading from the NRSV. I know we also read from the, the ESV. I know sometimes people read from the NIV. There's different translations here, and it's interesting. I, I, I personally prefer the idea that when the, the text means brothers and sisters, even though it says brothers, if it generally means including all humans, I'd like the English translation to reflect that it means all humans. But here the NRSV changes it and says children, and it, I, it says sons. And I think in this instance, it doesn't mean sons inclusively. It means sons specifically. And I think it means sons specifically not for a gendered reason, but for a positional reason. So if you'll indulge me in a little bit of nerdy wordsmithing, can we unpack why I think it's important that we use the word sons in verse 14? For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children, are sons of God. You see... In the time that this was written in first century uh, Roman Empire, there were many children in a family, but not all were heirs. Does that make sense? There are many children, but not all are heirs. More importantly, adoption, while it did have an, a nice ritual within the Roman culture, didn't happen a lot, didn't happen often, and adoption didn't necessarily allow you to be an heir. It may have included you, you're now part of the family, but it doesn't mean you are an heir. And what, what are the rights and privileges of an heir? An heir carries on the legacy. An heir has authority rights. Heirs have uh, rights to speak into the family business and the family matters and so forth. Non-heirs just have to stay by the wayside and deal with what is decided by those in power. If that, does that make sense? Now, in today's vernacular, when we have someone who's adopted, a friend of mine just adopted his foster son, and it's a beautiful story. I mean, I was thinking, now that I'm getting a little bit older, I start to realize that like, my friend was an empty nester. He was on his way out to, to that land where he could go out to dinners every night of the week if he wanted to, and maybe even have the cash to do it. <laughs> he could go away on weekend trips all he wanted, but then Chris came in their life. And he brought Chris into the family. I got, thanks to the world of Zoom, I got to sit in on the, uh, the day that the adoption was finalized in the court. And the, not only did the judge who was in it, but a special judge who was higher up came to this one because this story was so, such a beautiful story. I've never seen judges choke up and cry in court before. But this one judge was choked up and she'd prepared a, a, a long speech about it. And she was highlighting just the beauty of what was, man, what was happening when this kid, Chris, became Christopher Kurt. When he joined the Kurt family. You see, he didn't just have a family to take him in and provide for him. He didn't just take, have a family to come in and shelter him and love him and care for him and nurture him. He didn't just ha now have security when he had no security before. But he now has siblings. He had a lot of siblings, now he's even more. And those siblings are all older and they take care of him like, like aunts and uncles. 
But it's not just the relational things. Legally speaking, when in the day comes that the, that the, the, the property and the assets of my friend are dispersed amongst his children, Chris gets apart. When there's, a, when there's time to discuss what are we going to do with the assets, with the, with the legacy, Chris gets a vote. He gets a voice. Because he's not just a child of the family. He is an heir. He is a son. You might even want to put yourself into this mindset. He's a firstborn son. So if we can erase our genders in this moment, but realize that when we come to Christ, when we are found in Christ through faith in Jesus and the power of the resurrection, we are united with him in his baptism. We are united with him in his circumcision. We are united with him in his obedience to the Old Testament law. We discussed all this last week. So that when Christ was dead and buried and then rose again, we are united with him in his life, his new life. Whether you're female or male, you are adopted into God's kingdom as a firstborn son. You see, Pinocchio only aspired just to be a boy. Pinocchio didn't even aspire. He didn't even have the imagination to think that not only could he become a boy someday, but he could become the heir apparent to the kingdom of the universe. Adam and Eve, they walked amongst the garden and they walked with God in his presence, but they could not conceive of a day when they would be joint heirs with God's one and only son. But friends, that is our promotion. That is our opportunity. That is our, our decreed birthright from God upon us in Christ. Not all children in Rome were, were heirs, but in Christ we are joint heirs. That is fantastic. That is amazing. That is a change. That is why, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. That is why when we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, it is the very Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The idea, if you went back to a first century Jewish person and said, can you call God Adonai? Can you call the Lord Father? It's kind of, you're getting, you're getting a little presumptuous. You're starting to assume some things that maybe you ought not. But let alone the idea that we have access to God in the way that you have access to a father or hopefully have access to a father. For some of us, we haven't had that relationship. And I hope, my prayer and hope is that for everybody here who had a, a, a less than stellar experience with their biological earthly father, that somewhere through the life of the church, you will gain a spiritual father who shows you that love, who shows you that access, who shows you that ability to walk right up to them. And some of us, we had our fathers taken from us when we were young. Some of us, our fathers left when we were young. Some of us, our fathers have passed and we haven't heard their voice but in a faint memory for years. Some of us have had the opportunity to be a parent, to be a father. It's pretty cool when your kid reaches out and says, hey, Dad, can you do something for me? On one hand, I'm like, what? <laughs> if I'm telling the truth. But on the other hand, I'm like, 
my son. He wants something from me. And what it was the last time is he wants me to take his 15-foot kayak, put it up on a car, and drive it out to where he's living at in the shore for the summer. But you know what? I'm going to do it, aren't I? Why? Because I love my son. And he wants his kayak because he's living on the intercoastal waterway and on the beach. Why would I not lavish him with his kayak? I know, I just said, that's kind of a stretch. Thank you for working with that one. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but to be able to approach God as Father because he treats us as he treats Jesus. Think about that. The maker of the heavens and the earth treats you like he treats Jesus. The maker of the cosmos that's expanding at an ever-expanding rate that's so beyond comprehension, when we start throwing out the mathematical numbers, they're just, they're just extreme numbers that mean nothing to us because we cannot comprehend the size and the scope of the universe, can we? Not at all. That God sees you, knows you, and treats you like his only son. That God loves you enough to care for you. That God longs for you to get up early in the morning and spend time with him in prayer. That God longs for you to do his will, to walk the path that he sets you on, to live the life of love, to be the person he's made you to be, to bring light into darkness. That God sees you and knows you and loves you like he loves Jesus. That is why verse 15, it says, you did not receive the spirit of Jesus to fall back into fear, into that spirit of slavery. Friends, that is one of the things that keeps coming up in my studies, in my reflections, and in my conversations, is that fear continually grips the heart of human beings. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I have a hunch that some of us have been afraid of something this week or this month or this year. As we look at our children and how they are doing, we have a fear for, will they ever leave our house? <laughs> or we have a fear that, how will they do after they've left our house? We have a fear about next elections. We have fear about the economy. We have fear about weather. We have fears about neighbors. One of our friends, their parents just got robbed. They have a very beautiful, beautiful home, lavish home, and uh, whoever it was knew to go in through the second floor window and never touch the first floor where the sensors were. Heartbreaking, isn't it? Frustrating. Then you go back into a home that you know has been violated. We have fears of cities. We have fears of countries. We have fears of, of, of loneliness. We have fears of being in too much light. We have fears of, I can't stand the sun. We have fears of being in the dark. We have fears, fears, fears. That, my friends, is a spirit of slavery. When we are living in, with a spirit of fear, we are yoking ourselves back to slavery. We are leaving the path with the pillar of light and the pillar of smoke. We are leaving the path of being led by the spirit of God who dwells inside us, shutting that off or pushing it aside or quenching the spirit's effect in our life and embracing old Egypt. When we live in fear, 
So what I encourage you to do is when you have fears, and some of you say, well, I'm not afraid. Question, do you get angry? Because <laughs> you might be covering up your fears with anger. A friend of mine who's a counselor said, oh, yeah, anger. It's such a blanket emotion. It covers up the other ones that you're really feeling. And I, and I responded to her with, no, I don't. <laughs> it's the best I had at the time. No, we don't have a spirit of fear. The more that we see and understand that we are united to God through Christ. We are united and are joint heirs. We were marionette puppets that were just with chipped paint. But now we are daughters, we are sons, and we are firstborn sons in the economy of God's kingdom. We are joint heirs. We have ruling class authority in God's kingdom. So now... We need to learn to live like it. And that's a beautiful picture why adoption is wonderful. There's all sorts of images of what we use to try to wrap our minds around what God has done for us. One of them is we like to take a look at the caterpillar and the butterfly, right? We look at that transformation, that metamorphosis that occurs between the little inchworm that eats leaves and just goes away, it just crawls around on its belly inches an hour to then be the butterfly that can fly halfway across the world. We see that transformation and we say, that's what it means to be in Christ. That is not the picture, however, of adoption. Because when my friend's son became his son, did Chris change that day? Not much. Does Chris still have the same behavior patterns? Yeah. Does he still have the same baggage that he had before the, the adoption day? Yes. But what he has is a new family to walk this life with and a new set of expectations of this is how the family lives. These, are the fam These aren't just house rules anymore. They are what? Family rules. If you ever like to follow, and I do not, I'm, I, I confess, I do not care one stitch about the royal family in England. I know that many people are fascinated by them. What I am fascinated by is this. Noble birth does not create noble behavior. <laughs> and I don't try, I, well, I try not to take too much glee in seeing nobility act common. But you can imagine some of the in-house meetings when nobility acts profanely. And you see, that's the church world of, hey, you're Christ's kid now. You're in Christ's family now. Let's, let's live in a way that reflects that. Let's live in a way that esteems that. The princess in the pea. We should start feeling whether or not we are sleeping on it. Well, that's a bad one. Let's scrap that one. But you get the idea that once we have been made heirs to the kingdom, it's time to learn how to be future kingdom rulers. So we go back to Jesus. How did Jesus treat people? What did Jesus value? How did Jesus love the last thing I want to highlight for you this morning is this. We are united to Christ, and God regards us in the identical way that he does Christ. So now we must learn to hear the Spirit's voice so that we can discern the difference between living in old Egypt ways. We can discern the difference between what is fear and what is caution. We can learn what is fear and what is obedience. This passage wraps up and says, if, ch if we're children, 
then we're heirs and heirs to God and joint heirs with Christ if, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. This passage continues on in verse 18 and says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is about to be revealed to us. But in order for us to see the glory that is about to be revealed to us, we have to keep our eyes on the big picture, on the long, on the, on the long game, and we can't just look around us and say, what am I missing out on? You see, unlike the Exodus folks, they were wandering around the deserts of the Sinai Peninsula. Not a lot of, not exactly the Vegas Strip, shall I say. But we're walking around the Vegas Strip, aren't we? We're walking around indulgences and distractions and petty vices and angers and, and, and territories that we can claim as our own. Here's, a good, here's some good rubrics. If you're feeling fear, stop and say, what am I scared of? And how can God address that? It may not change any of the circumstances, but it might change your posture towards it. What am I angry at? If you're angry, you might have some righteous anger, but let's work our way through it. You might need a group of people to work through that with. You can find them, we call it a church. What else could you be feeling that might distract you? Envy. What am I envious? What do I think that somebody else is getting that God is not willing to provide me? And why would God not necessarily be willing to provide me that? Is God sufficient for me today? And work our way through that. What else could we be doing that might distract us and keep us from leading the spirit-filled, Jesus-yoked union life? We have anger. We have uh, fear. We have envy. We have gluttony. We're just distracted, and we just want more and more and more and more, and we can't be satisfied. All these sins that... They trap us. It's not that we're on a board where God says, you're either in my blessing or out. It's more of, are we learning to live the new life in the new kingdom way? That's what living in grace looks like. I think some people are scared if we talk too much grace. Because if we talk too much grace, what are we going to do about what? The rules. Then we're just a bunch of, uh, you know, Warden June Cleaver that just say, oh, well, Wally, you burned down the barn again. Let's hug it out. But is that the Jesus life? No. Grace does not mean just passing over some sins and thinking they're no big deal. No, it's actually finding a path to be set free from sin so that we no longer see it as beautiful, as good, as tasty, as delicious, as satisfying. We long for something more satisfying. So we have to set our eyes on the promised land. We have to set our eyes in, uh, on the Christ who sits at the right hand of the throne. We have to set our eyes and our identity to recognize that we are now a light and that God has a job for us and God has an expectation for us because God loves us like a firstborn son. Which might include that we suffer. Are we suffering? Are we in pain? And are we blaming God or are we recognizing that we're walking the path that God left for his son as well? Because remember, God regards us identically as he does Jesus. So I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that has been revealed to us. Why? Because in all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. We are victorious. Ultimately, we are victorious over all these things that seek to steal and kill and destroy 
For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things of the present age, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us because we've been yoked and adopted into the family. So now let's go and figure out how to live it. Amen? Lord, help us to live in this new life that you've given us. Help us to not just yoke ourselves back to Egypt, whether it's through pleasures or even through rules. Help us to learn to hear and see your spirit lead us in this day and age. And Lord, we pray that we would not be people of fear and of anger and of envy and of covetousness, but Lord, that we would be people of love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. Lord, let your light Shine through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.